welcome to the Hardcore Finance Show. Uh, today it's a solo episode by me, because um, Alex couldn't uh, make it due to some personal commitments, but we have an exciting topic to talk about, which is how the Fed's Jackson Hole meeting uh, tanked the markets. And so basically, for those of you that are not caught up in the news, uh, the Federal Reserve had a meeting. Uh, it wasn't an official uh, interest rate decision meeting, but it was uh, pretty important because, you know, people really want to hear what the direction is and they speculate on the direction. And uh, basically, the Fed said, look, we're going to keep increasing interest rates until we get inflation uh, under control. And that is, uh, you know, seen as a sign of they're not going to pivot anytime soon. So that tanked the markets hardcore. In um, in uh, Friday, I think the Nasdaq went down by more than four uh, percent in one day, um, and and that is because basically the interest rate is uh, you use this to discount the cash flows of companies. So like if you make money today, and then next year, and then the year after that, and so forth, the money that you make three years from now is worth less. Uh, because you could have invested, you know, money today to reach that amount to make it equal. And so the higher the interest rate, the lower the valuation of stocks. And uh, that's just a simple one uh, way of looking at it. Another way to look at it is that the cost of capital, when it's higher, then companies can basically, it's, it's harder for them to borrow um, and invest in profitable projects. Uh, so if you can borrow money at 1%, there's a bunch of things that you can do that will give you more than 1%. And so you, you make a profit. But if you borrow at 3 or 4%, there's less things that you can do. So those, those are the two ways to see uh, why an increasing interest rate is bad for stocks. But uh, I wanted to zoom out a little bit and present a different, more holistic view of what the Fed is doing. And the, the way I look at interest rates is basically the Fed is paying what's called a Fed funds rate. So it's like if banks deposit money at the Fed, which they have to do uh, by law, a certain percentage, uh, that's the money that the Fed, you know, pays uh, those banks to, to keep money with the Fed. And so that means that a lot of the money is um, kept there and not in the economy. So that's why when you lower interest rates, when the Fed lowers interest rates, it creates a higher velocity of money into the economy. And, you know, people basically spend the money instead of investing it. And by the way, one thing I forgot to mention is that the Fed funds rate basically has a direct implication on all of the other rates in the market, like the mortgage and car payments and credit card uh, interest rates. They're all the fun a function of the risk-free rate. So you can think of it, for example, a credit card, because you can just default on it, it has a high premium over the risk-free rate of the Fed. Uh, a mortgage, you have a lower likelihood of defaulting on it because you know you lose your home and you lose like um, some of the equity that you've built in the home. So that's why the interest rate is lower. And a car is kind of kind of in the middle. Um, so basically, what what is the meaning of raising interest rates Be beyond just tanking of stocks? So think of it as a reservoir that can hold. Uh, you know, we pump water from the ground and we can either like send this water to like, let's say, irrigate fields or we can store 
some water in the reservoir. So when when the Fed increases interest rates, it, it like the analogy is that more water is stored in the reservoir. And so basically it makes two things. One, you could say that it's good for longer term growth because this reservoir of water, we can use it uh, next time that the economy starts hurting. So they can lower the interest rates. And by lowering the interest rates, it really, really stimulates the economy. Now, when you think about it, when the interest rate was zero, we knew that they cannot do anything. They can't like lower it below zero. The, the, the real interest rate is already negative. The real interest rate is the difference between the inflation and the interest that you get. So if we have like an 8% inflation and a 3% interest rate, that's basically a negative 5%. So like you lose 5% of your money every year as long as the inflation is 8% and the Fed funds rate is 3 So basically when it's zero, people say there's nothing the Fed can do. And so that's why they maybe don't engage in behavior that could be risky, but that could also be rewarded and, and it can create growth. So that's one way of looking at it, which is like, it's almost like building an arsenal of things that you can use to stimulate the economy later on instead of stimulating the economy now. Another way of looking at it is, remember how I mentioned that with a high interest rate, you have less projects that you can do. It's like, on the one hand, you have less projects that you can do. On the other hand, now you work really hard to find those projects, right? You, you basically, companies that are able to find those projects, they will survive. And companies that are not able to find those projects, they will not survive. They will go bankrupt. Uh, that's if you don't have any debt. If you have debt as a company, then you're really screwed because like a higher interest rate means that the next time you roll over your debt, so when you basically raise new debt to pay off your previous debt, which is what companies do all the time, uh, you will have to pay a lot more for the same debt. Like uh, a, a way to think about it is like, think of a mortgage, right? Like if you have a house and you have a fixed, uh, you know, fixed mortgage rate of like, let's say 3%, if you have to move now into a different house and get a different mortgage, suddenly your monthly payment is much, much higher. So you can afford a much smaller house in the same area or, you know, a house same size in a worse area. But the point is, once you do this, you can then refinance your mortgage when, when the interest rate goes, uh, goes back down. So like, even though it basically makes you be more frugal as a, as a household, it makes you be more to work harder as a company to maybe like not hire as many employees and to like demand more productivity from employees that are already um, already there. And that overall is better for the health of the economy. Like if you think of like most people, what they do, the, the, the average company or the average consumer, uh, because of these higher interest rates, they will change their behavior in ways that are better for the economy, right? Um, in, in the crop uh, analogy, right? If you now have less water, um, because like some of the water is going into this reservoir of the Fed's, um, you know, Fed funds rate, uh, then maybe you grow better crops or you find out better ways to irrigate your crops with, with like less water um, or you, you find some, some crops that require like less water, but uh, you can sell them at the same price. So basically it forces you to be more efficient. It forces you to be more productive. 
the way the Fed thinks about it in, in macroeconomics, they basically say there's the, the neutral interest rate, which is a, a theoretical concept, which says like if the interest rate is at that level, and employment would be at a good spot and growth would be at a good spot. If the interest rate is above the neutral rate, uh, then things go into a recession. And if the interest rate is below that neutral rate, we get inflation. So what they're trying to do now is to go above the neutral rate uh, to put, uh, you know, to, to basically tame inflation. That's like their number one goal now. So if things are so good for the economy uh, long term, what is uh, what are the problems that could be? So the biggest problem would be what would happen if the Fed just kept the interest rate high, right? And if it didn't lower it later on. Uh, so that would be really bad because that could mean that the whole stock market is repriced at the higher interest rate, which means the, the, the stock market would be lower for a very extended period of time. So I, that would be a very bad situation as an investor in the stock market. But I don't think that could happen. Uh, I don't think that could happen because uh, the mainly the government has a lot of debt, right? It has debt, uh, you know, probably the one of the highest points in history. I don't know exactly, but the debt to GDP ratio is is very very high. It's, I think it's one hundred and thirty percent for the U.S. and and globally it's even worse. Now what happens? Two things would happen if the Fed did not lower interest rates in the future. I'm not saying when, but at some point, right? One, the government will have to like cut back services big time because they're basically, uh, you know, when they roll over their debt, they'll have to pay more in interest. And so they'll have less budget to use for like social services, for education, for the military, for, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, all of these things. Uh, you know, if the interest rate remains high, they will have less money to spend. And guess what? That's not popular with voters, right? And and the Democrats, they want to, you know, not get a really, really bad outcome uh, this uh, midterms. So I think what the playbook will be is that they will be very, very hawkish now in Jackson Hole so they could start pivoting next meeting which is like end of september so the next meeting is end of september and then the midterms are pretty close afterwards and it's not like the fed can just announce something and the economy immediately rearranges itself right it, it it needs some time i think to give good economic results before the before the midterm so what i think is that the the fed will definitely pivot uh kind of soonish but even if it doesn't pivot soon and Republicans regain the Congress, uh, you know, because the results are bad, what do you think Republicans are going to do? Like they're going to, you know, very, you know, either pressure the Fed to lower uh, interest rates or at least not spend any more money or basically they'll have to pivot at some point. Uh, so that's one. Then the other thing is that the dollar is really strengthening because we are raising interest rates while all the other countries have lower interest rates than us. And so then what happens if I'm an investor in the third world, let's say, and I can choose where do I park my money? I could park it in euros. I can park it in dollars and the dollar pays me a higher interest rate. So like I will buy dollars. And so that's why the course of the euro dollar has been tanking. So like it was like one point two dollars per euro several months ago. Now it broke one. So it's below one. So like one euro is worth less than one dollar now. Uh, 
Um, that's that's kind of crazy. And so that cannot be sustained for a very long time. Because what happens is if the dollar is really strong, all of our exports are going to get hurt. Because like, just think about it. If someone pays, someone in another country pays for American stuff, uh, suddenly everything became 20% more expensive over the last couple of months. So what does that mean? You buy less, right? If the price goes up, you buy less. Suddenly other countries can outcompete us. So let's say you had uh, a U.S company and a Chinese company giving a bid to build something in, in a third country, let's say an airport. Uh, and, you know, you're like, okay, all things considered, let's say the quality is the same, even though the U.S. has a premium, but just for the sake of the exercise, let's say the quality is the same, you will go with the U.S. because, you know, you prefer to work with the U.S. Suddenly, if the U.S. bid became 20% more expensive just because of exchange rate, then, uh, the uh, you know you would choose the Chinese thing, and so then it would tank the the U.S. exports. So it makes imports cheaper. It makes exports more expensive, um, and so I don't think that could be sustained in a very long time because exporting uh, stuff is really important for the U.S. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is you could say maybe the U.S. can pressure other countries to also increase their interest rates. And so basically to say, okay, you know, no reason to park it in the dollar because like if the dollar pays 3%, maybe the euro can pay 3%. The euro can never pay 3% because their debt situation is even worse than the US. So I mentioned before that the US has like something like 130% debt to GDP. The rest of the world, if you take all of the world combined, is something like 300% debt to GDP. So that means that they can definitely not pay more interest rates. And if you think about it, for for every addition, for every increase in the interest rate, the U.S. is hurt less than the rest of the world because, you know, um, it has less debt. So Europe cannot do it. And I really think that uh, basically the only solution for the Fed is to pivot lower interest rates and uh, yeah, we'll see when it happens. But uh, that's why I'm optimistic um, with regards to the uh, the stock market. Because even though now it's it's a very bad uh, time, first of all, I think they'll pivot back. Second of all, I wanted to show you the long-term trend. I'm always a long-term guy. And I, I think that basically whatever is happening with the... Um, with the economy can deviate from the long-term trend for a short period of time. But over the long period of time, we always kind of revert to the mean. And the mean is that tech is a force of good uh, in terms of productivity. Tech allows us to do more with the same unit of capital, right? Like the, the best example is like, think of one of these like huge harvesters that can basically uh, take like, a satellite image of your crops, understand exactly uh, where the crops are missing some kind of nutrition or some kind of, um, you know, fertilizer. And as it harvests the wheat, it can drop exactly the right amount of fertilizer on a GPS map. I've seen one of these. Uh, I've actually gone on one. It's it's incredible. These things cost like a million dollars for like one harvester. But just think 
of how much more it would cost if you had to like, you know, fertilize the, the entire field without measuring it or have like tons of people doing the manual labor of, of harvesting the, um, uh, the crops. And so basically per amount of capital, per amount, per, per every dollar spent, we get more productivity today because of technology versus what we were, would get like, let's say, 100 years ago. So if you project that into the future, that's what the NASDAQ gives you. The NASDAQ gives you the, the, the overall increase in productivity. And yes, sometimes it can get overheated. Sometimes it can get like in a little recession or depression or whatever it is. But I really believe that it always reverts to the mean. And if we talk about crypto, right, crypto too, uh, there have been a lot of projects that frankly didn't make a lot of sense. So like a lot of capital was invested in projects that like didn't make a lot of sense. You know, Luna, for example, it paid you 20% risk-free. Nobody asked themselves, where does the 20% come from? You know, because like you could have like firms like BlockFi, for example, they paid you very, very little. They paid you back when there was like an arbitrage opportunity of, of GBTC to spot Bitcoin. There was a premium. And so they would pay you like 4%, 5%. And what they would do is like you would give them their your Bitcoin and they would lend it to somebody else. That person would use it to exploit the arbitrage opportunity and then give it back to you right, with interest. So that's clear where the interest came from. It came from an arbitrage opportunity. And guess what? When the arbitrage opportunity closed, now GBTC is at a discount rather than a premium, uh, suddenly BlockFi stopped paying interest. They, they said, okay, we'll pay you 0.2% or whatever. While BlockFi was paying 0.2% in interest, uh, Luna was paying 20%. And how did they justify that? They said, oh, it's our customer acquisition cost, right? Now, look, that's my profession uh, to acquire customers. And I can tell you, th there's only so much that you can scale with unit economics that don't make sense. So like, for example, Uber, they said, look, we're willing to lose a lot of money to acquire people because then over time, we'll figure out a way to make Uber pool uh, and we'll be able to like, you know, increase the utilization of the drivers and make the drivers more productive. Or uh, afterwards, uh, when when COVID came and Uber Pool was canceled, they were like, oh, now we actually have pricing pressure uh, that we can apply. And they actually raised their prices and, and people got away with it because they were like, OK, I'll pay one dollar or two dollars more for my Uber ride. It's not a big deal. But those one or two dollars on the bottom line can make a very big difference. So in certain industries and in certain cases, it makes sense to lose money to acquire customers. But that has to be linked to a plan you have later on how to make money from these people. What did Luna do? They're, they were like, okay, we're going to pay you 20%. That's it. Like, how are you going to make money from these people? Like, the only way that you could get money from these people are from people that come in and join. But, like, that's going to stop at some point, right? And, and you had so many of these projects. You had all these NFTs that are sold at, like, extravagant prices. You had, uh, you know, different platforms that didn't do too much and they raised capital at huge valuations. Now, if you think about it, what does it mean to raise capital at huge valuations? It means people give you money and they get less of a percentage of your company than if the valuation was lower. So then that basically created like huge market distortions because people were like, okay, I invested, let's say, $100 million in this company 
I'm expecting to make a positive return. If before I would get, let's say, 10% of the company for 100 million, now I'm getting 5% of the company for 100 million. So that means that the company has to make double the profit to make things equal for me. And, and that clearly wasn't sustainable. So what happened is as the Fed increased interest rates, crypto went down like crazy because crypto currently is, is really uh, treated as like a high leverage uh, tech stock for, for uh, lack of a better term. And I'm not saying that this is going to be the case forever, but like for now, definitely there's a correlation between uh, Bitcoin and the Nasdaq, for example. So uh, what happened when, when the Fed uh, raised interest rates? Suddenly the, the projects collapsed. Lots of people lost a lot of money, but the projects that stayed are much healthier. Bitcoin formed a bottom at 20K. And yes, the current bottom is the same like the previous top, uh, where the, the previous bottom there was around 3,000 or 3,500 was, uh, was like three times the previous top. So the previous top was like $1,000, then it collapsed, then went up to 20,000. And then when it collapsed, it collapsed to three. So like supposedly you could say, oh no, Bitcoin is dying because like this time it collapsed to its all time high versus previously it collapsed to a price that was three times higher than the all time high. But to that, my counterpoint is that the previous all time high at 20K, we barely spent any time there. It was like a wick that lasted for like maybe a week or maybe a couple of weeks. But like the previous $1,000 top, we stayed there for a while. So I would actually make the case that Bitcoin is much, much healthier. We're seeing real institutional interest. We're seeing like uh, funds deployed to, for example, Nidig is, is doing like a Y Combinator for Lightning. Lightning is a really exciting layer. So basically think of the interest rate as a cleansing of the bad projects all across the economy. And so hopefully we can be at a much, much healthier spot. And then hopefully the, the Fed will pivot, lower the interest rate before the election or after the election, uh, and then everything will keep going up. So I hope this uh, made you a little bit less anxious about what's going on. Please let me know if you have any questions. Uh, this whole episode came from a question of one of my family members. So I'm very happy to answer it. And uh, yeah, please like us and subscribe. That really helps with the distribution of the podcast. And uh, let us know what you think. So until next time, I hope you have a great week.